Hi, this is Liz Ryan, and this is the Work-Related Podcast, Episode 10. We started this new podcast 10 episodes ago, and now we got 10 episodes in the vault, and I hope you'll listen to some of them. We're talking about how to reinvent work for people and how to grow your flame in your career and on the job, how to think about work and how to take charge of your career. So that's our agenda. And the question that we're grappling with today is how do I get a big pay raise, 10% bigger than what most people get? Because the average out there in the working world right now is only around 3% or even a little bit less. So asking for 10% at your annual review, it's a pretty big ask. So you don't want to wait until that day arrives because your boss is not going to say, sure, I'll give you a 10% pay increase. You've got to start way in advance of your annual review. You've got to start months in advance. And here's what what you got to know about this topic, how to get a 10% pay raise, is that your boss is going to have to sell the idea of giving you a bigger than average pay raise, like three times the average. Uh, They're going to have to sell it upstream to their boss and probably one more boss or a financial person because that 10% raise, it might not be a lot of dollars, but it's going to disrupt the system and they have to get approval on that there's a legit issue which is internal equity they have to make sure that people who are doing work similar to the work you're doing are also getting paid about the same as what you're proposing to get paid uh, and so they have to make sure that they they work out the internal equity there but they're also just going to have to come up with the money and everybody has a budget budgets are tight So you're going to have to make a case, what they call a business case, for that 10% raise. And you should start literally six months before your review date because they have to put a lot of ducks in a row. So how do you do that? Well, you have to make the case by showing how what you do is different than what you started doing when you got the job. It's changed. Your job's changed significantly. You have to show the value of your work to the organization, if possible, in dollars and cents. And you have to show that this is what the world in general pays people like you. So you have to say, look, I'm glad to be working here. I am a whatever, a UI person, and this is what uh, people get paid out in the world who do this kind of work. And here's the contribution that my work makes to the organization, specifically, this project, this project, this project that I've completed, and this important project that I'm working on right now. So this seems to me like it's pretty critical stuff. I'm happy to be doing it. And this is what people get paid for this work. And this is the where I should be salary wise. Your boss may say, when you request a big increase like 10%, uh, we're going to do this in stages. I'm going to give you 5% now. And if you hit these goals, I'll give you the other 5% then or I'll give you a bonus. They're trying to move cash around. And it may be a little insulting because it may feel like, you know, it's not that much money, but they're not as much worried about the cash as they are the precedent. They're worried about setting a precedent because if you get 10%, who's going to be the next person that asks for 10%? That's always the fear. However, in general, if you want a big pay increase, and this is good advice, I think, for everyone, got to raise your visibility and your credibility in your organization. You're looking to make a difference. You're looking to influence what they're doing. 
So they have to know who you are and they have to know what you've contributed. That doesn't mean tooting your own horn or bragging about yourself. It means having your contributions be visible. And that's a, a piece of this, particularly if you want to grow or rise up in the organization and if you want to get paid more than what they're currently paying you. You got to think about your visibility and credibility. What does that mean? That means speaking up. It means speaking your truth when you have truth to speak rather than saying, eh, I don't want to raise my head up. You know, I just want to, I'll just go with the flow. That's okay. But, but the downside of being, you know, sort of unknown is that when you ask for a big pay increase, they're going to say, who even is that person? And why should we pay them that much money? So growing your thought leadership flame is not just an external thing with a blog or a podcast or a Twitter account or whatever. It's an internal thing in your organization. And for many people, it may be more important to raise your profile, your visibility, and your credibility internally than anywhere else. So it's all part of the same package, right? Growing your muscles and growing your flame, getting paid more, having more influence, being more respected, having being able to set boundaries more effectively between work and home and yada, yada. So we're all kind of growing these muscles together, but this is why we talk about it all the time. So that's some thoughts on how to get a 10% salary increase. The other thing you're going to do if you want to get a big pay increase is learn about your business and how they make money because the closer you are to that equation, how the organization makes money, the closer you are to that mechanism, the easier it's going to be for you to make a compelling case about why you need to get paid more. And here's the, the final point on that. Whatever you're looking at, whatever you're learning about, studying and understanding internally, you're also going to study and understand the outside world because the alternative is always there if your company cannot or will not pay you what you believe you need to get paid, there's the rest of the world. You're not locked in place and you can leave and go work for somebody else, but you have to know that external market and you have to have some contacts. So it's a whole process, isn't it? But this is what working in the 21st century is all about. It's not just doing the work on your desk. All right, next topic. Hi, Liz. I applied for a job that sounds really good, but I'm afraid they may be too strict about work from home. They have a hybrid system right now, but I want to ask them if they use at-home monitoring or any other systems that I would find intrusive and restrictive. How do I ask? Oh, that's a good question. So you're on a job interview and you want to find out how they view this hybrid work schedule that they have. Are they monitoring you through your laptop or how does it work? But you also don't want to come across like a person who is trying not to get any work done and just, you know, watch TV or sit on your phone all day long. Okay. So it's a bigger question. Like so many of these workplace issues, it's a really a bigger question than almost just what is the question to ask? Because you're right, that question could come across as totally fine and reasonable, depending on how the conversation is going. Or it could come across as, what What are you asking me now? Do we monitor you? Why? What were you, were you planning to run another business or take off and go, you know, do something else for six hours? So I think the way to couch that question would be, look, I'm really interested in this job. It sounds good. And I think, you know, I could help you. I think I could make a contribution here. Um... I, I like the hybrid schedule that works for me for sure. And the one thing I, I have a little sensitivity, it's hard for me to work on camera. I'm good with a Zoom call or two, 
during the day when I know I have to be kind of on, it's fine. But working in general, it's all about concentration and solitude. So I'm not really comfortable with some of the monitoring that, that, that some of my friends have in place at their jobs. So I wanted to ask you about that. I'm very good on being connected to you and keeping you on top of what I'm working on, checking in with you, getting priorities and reprioritization and all that, of course, um, but not as much having a camera on me. So, you know, tell me about that. That's the specific question. But more important is that your entire interview process, everyone you interact with, everyone you meet virtually or otherwise, every shred of email correspondence that you get from these people, every bit of evidence you can gather and interpret is telling you what kind of place it is, what the culture is. And here's a simple way to think about the culture. Is it more about trust or is it more about fear? That's what I want you to focus on. Because if they tell you now, we do not do any type of monitoring of our at-home employees, our remote employees, you say, great. And then a month later, they decide, eh, we're going to change our mind and now we are going to do surveillance through your webcam, you're going to really be disappointed. You're looking for an energetic read more so than an answer to a specific question that you ask your hiring manager. You're looking for a read in your body. Your body knows better, right? So there's questions you can ask, but when that manager answers that question, you're going to be watching their eyes. You're going to be looking at their body language. Did they not like the question? Are they, have they been discussing doing surveillance? I mean, there's a lot of fear out there and a hybrid work and remote work for some reason brings up a lot of fear with a lot of management folks, not even necessarily your manager, but the company somewhere up high enough that someone has influence and they say, we're going to surveil these employees while they work. And that's the way it is. Your manager might not even like it, but that's just what they decided or they could decide two weeks from now. So you're really trying to get like an energetic read, Geiger counter type of thing, right? Richter scale. <laughs> are they are they really focusing on get on just the work and the mission and the customers? That's what you want, or are they really focused on you know? Don't you even think about getting up from your desk and going and making a cup of coffee in your kitchen, right? So you're going to get that through your conversations with everyone you interact with in the interview process, your own manager, recruiters, other employees and so on. So you could get an answer to a question and that's not bad, but that's not the full story. All right. So, oh, we have a wonderful question here from Sophie who says, I have plans to leave my job around October and I'm wondering when to tell my manager. I'm going to feel very guilty if I give notice in the second week of September and she knows that I will have known about my plans for months and months and didn't say anything. But I'm also afraid of giving notice or pre-notice too early and having the energy change around me and her. What do you advise? That's a great question, Sophie. First of all, congratulations on your big plans, uh, whatever they are. Yes, no, don't give notice too early. It is far, far better, Sophie, for your manager to have that little pang of hurt feelings or regret or whatever it is, irritation, that you did not fill her in the moment you learned about your life plants. They're changing uh, your, your location, I presume, or your situation so that you have to change jobs or you have to quit. Far better for your manager to feel that little pang of, oh, why didn't Sophie tell me earlier than to tell her now? Because when you tell her, believe me, the relationship will change. It's the oldest story in the book. 
You may have a beautiful, chill, wonderful, warm, supportive relationship with your manager now because she doesn't think you're leaving. You tell her now that you're leaving in October. It's only March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Oh, things could get grim, Sophie. Things could get very rough because managers go through it. When you say, I'm leaving in six months. Somebody should write a book about this. What managers go through, it's a work relationship, but it's a social relationship. And, and, and what managers go through is they're angry, they're hurt, they're hurt first, wounded. Sophie, you're kidding. Why are you leaving? Sophie, oh, because of your boyfriend's job. Well, how long have you known about this? Awkward. Why didn't you tell me? You could have told me. Yeah, she says that now, but indeed you could not. You could not, and it's not even her fault. You tell her now, she's going to say, that's beautiful. Sophie, I'm so happy for you. And then watch over the next few days as her demeanor completely changes. It's not even her fault. It's normal. It's fear kicks in. Now, Sophie's leaving. What am I going to do? She's going to leave here. I'm supposed to just act like nothing's changed and I got to hire somebody. I can't hire anybody now. If she's leaving, I wish she would just leave now and I could replace her. This is what they go through. And like I said, it's not her fault. She doesn't know how to be around you for six months and hostility and fear and pain and, and snipiness and all of that is part of the package. I've seen it a million times and I've heard about it 10 or 20 million times. Don't do it. Wait, Sophie, a month, a maximum, a month, maximum better would be two weeks. If you have to tell a little white lie, it's a social white lie. I didn't think this was going to come through. And in the end, it came through. Listen, I've been on the receiving end of that message 40 times. I never expected this to happen. Look, it's fine. At least now I've heard it so many times. Uh, 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 you know, the little, the, the, what used to be this just wrenching, horrible. And it was literally physical pain. Like, how could you do this to me? Doesn't have to be, we know it's not right. We know it's not intellectually, philosophically correct. I have no right to feel hurt that someone quit. They're following their path. They're on, living their life. But you do feel hurt. That's my point. You do, as a manager, feel hurt. So knowing that in advance about your manager, Sophie, we're not going to do that to you or to her because you're going to wait. Listen, you know why people tell secrets when they promise not to tell a secret? Because having a secret is a burden. It's stressful. And you want to lay off the burden on someone else. And now they have the burden. Right? It's like it, not it. And so you getting rid of this secret that is hard for you to maintain and putting it on Sophie is doing her, a uh, put your Sophie, right? Putting it on your manager is doing her a, diso, a disservice. Don't do it. Hang on to it. Hold it. Bear the weight of it. It's your life. It's your life change. Don't put it on your manager until she needs to know. And that's when you actually give notice. All right. We're almost done with our podcast. We only got one more question. Here's a question from a manager. Hi, Liz. There's an ex-employee from my department who is now working for another company and poaching members of my team. He got one person to leave us and go to work with him, and he's tried three more. What should I do? Oh, this is a great question. Thank you for asking that question. Ex-employee poaching my employees. Here's the thing. If it wasn't your ex-team member, it would be a recruiter. It would be whoever. The world is big and a lot of people are hiring. So it's not really even improper or anything for that employee to be reaching out to their ex-coworkers, members of your team, 
and telling them about jobs at the ex-employee's company. A lot of companies play a re- pay a referral bonus to people who bring in a friend of theirs or ex-colleague or whatever. And the referral bonuses, uh, uh, the bonuses can be real. They can, when I was doing HR, they were like $500, maybe $1,000. Now they could be, they could be $2,500, $3,500, $5,000 to bring in a friend. And that's enough money that somebody's going to stop what they're doing and they're going to make a few phone calls or send some emails or texts or whatever. So I would just take your focus off the ex-employee. They're not evil. It doesn't even matter. They're just somebody who is coming up like a little bluebird to give you a message from the universe. And that is one person left. They left. There was something that ex-employee had to tell them about pay, about hours, about benefits, about the working atmosphere, about career advancement. That is good information for you to have. It's a, it's a, it's a hole in the wall, in the fence, right? It's a way for... It's a, it's a way to lose talented people. And you don't want to have those ways, those opportunities for a competitor for talent to come in and grab somebody away from you. So I would do something. I would not wait for another person to leave. Um, this idea of poaching, that's the word we use. That's silly, right? Poaching animals is, is, is killing animals who are not supposed to be, it's not legal to hunt them. Um, poaching employees is just telling somebody about a better opportunity. You're not threatening them in any way. Nothing bad happens to them if they don't go for the job. It's just we don't want to leave those opportunities open. Salary compression is a real thing. That's where people end up underpaid for the for the crime of staying loyal to their company. Obviously, that's ridiculous. You should be rewarded for your loyalty to the company, not punished for it. So if there's an opportunity for someone to come in and poach, as you say, your employees, then that's on, on your employer. They got to, they got to, you know, fix that wall and make it really cozy and give people no reason to look outside the company walls. Could be pay, could be hours, could be benefits, could be whatever, dress code, work from home. But there's an opportunity there to, so that the next time that your ex-employee calls a few of their fellow uh, uh, for, previous bleh, former coworkers, they say, nah, I'm good. I'm fine here. You should come back, <laughs> right? Don't be mad at that ex-employee. They or just living their life, trying to make a few bucks. That's our podcast. Couple of notes. Um, one is I am training an awesome group, a small and awesome group of people with all different backgrounds, um, teachers and business people and healthcare people and professors and recruiters and technologists and HR people and consultants, and and they are becoming career coaches with my help, learning the human workplace curriculum, our courses, and, and, and our methods and the mindset, and then career coaching under our umbrella. And, and I'm super happy to promote those folks. There is a, a directory on our site at humanworkplace.com slash directory. And those are our career coaches who have finished are become a career coach program and they are out there working with clients and it's absolutely wonderful. And they're helping them figure out their career direction, helping them brand themselves, get interviews, sail through those interviews, negotiate salary if appropriate, all of the pieces of transitioning into a new job, exploring the market, or looking at opportunities in their own organization or even starting their own business. So that's what our career coaches are doing. And I encourage you to take a look and set up a meeting. First meeting is free 
with, uh, with one of our career coaches at humanworkplace.com slash directory and talk about your career and your situation and, and what you want to do and how to get there. And if you'd like to become a career coach with my help through our 12-week program, reach out to me, please, um, at support at humanworkplace.com and we'll get you on a call with my colleague Michael and you and, and he can talk about it and, uh, and learn about that program. So that's it. And uh, very happy to talk with you all the time. If you have questions for me to answer in a future podcast, please send the question to support at humanworkplace.com. Maybe we need a jingle. Have a great, great week, and I'll talk to you soon.